So welcome to the OSS Startup Podcast. This is Tim from SNSBC and Robbie from uh, Cowboy Ventures. We're super excited to have Nicholas Wuka from QuestDB to talk about the fastest SQL on time series. So welcome, Nicholas. Welcome and well done on the pronunciation. was very good. <laughs> yeah, we're learning every, every single episode how to improve ourselves. And so let's start from your original story. Like what made you start this time series database and what prompted you to even start a company around it too? Sure. So this started before, uh, before me in some ways. So Vlad, my co-founder, started to think about this problem back in 2013. I mean, before we met, obviously, not before I was born. That, that would have been uh, quite, quite a long time ago. So <laughs> he was essentially building low latency software at large FX trading desks. We can think of, you know, big banks like you know, UBS, HSBC, stuff like that. And at the time, in particular, there was really nothing out there to deal with large amounts of market data. And what is market data is essentially, you know, a timestamp and then some prices next to it, which is really where time series data was born. That was, you know, financial services at first. And the idea just came to him to, to start solving his own problem and build something himself. Because, you know, it was actually quite difficult because there was nothing out there open source. There were a few technologies closed source, but super expensive and very hard to use, not in SQL. So yeah, he was actually wondering why, why is that? You know, why why nobody has built something to fulfill uh, my needs? And he just started this journey, uh, and the journey is quite peculiar because typically in DevTools space, people try to go to market fast, and to do that, they try you know they they pick libraries or technologies that have already been shipped and build on top of, on top of it, which you know typically is the is the best way to get to market. But he went the other way, essentially, and started to build everything from scratch, 100%. And, you know, database, it's a lot of nitty gritty, a lot of small things, and therefore a very, very long endeavor. And the focus was really around performance first. And the approach was a little bit different to what you would typically find in the market as well. So yeah, that was a long, a long time, six years of R&D in total. And the great thing for him is that he could actually get feedback, you know, directly from his colleagues, the bank, and other people he knew. So that was his way of sort of iterating and kind of making sure he was actually solving a problem. And fast forward a few years, we actually met at a crypto startup. And Vlad had a great tech, but he never found a co-founder before. He always had his idea in his mind to, to start a company around Quest DB. And yeah, we, we clicked. We clicked. I, I do have a background in data, even though he was, you know, in financial services, but we did that sort of stuff quite a lot at Rothschild where I was before. And yeah, this crypto startup we met and we saw the opportunity that is gigantic with time series data, the product that is great. And we just went to, to tackle, you know, this by just creating the company and then releasing it open source. So that, that is the, the beginnings, the humble beginnings of, of QuestDB. Unfortunately, you know, it was not my idea. So <laughs> nothing to be you know super, super proud of myself, but yeah, it was just, just a way of, you know, finding the right co-founder for Vlad. And I found the space and the opportunity super exciting. So I decided to, to jump on it and, and then we started it. So it sounds like you had a lot before you entered YC and there was already a co-founding team, already kind of an idea of the product. Walk us through why you decided to go through YC. Yeah, so we were not struggling, but... A lot of us struggling in, in Europe in particular with, you know, this super fast database pitching investors about a super, super technical product, open source, 
obviously you can imagine not a lot of seed investors super keen to hear that you're not going to you know, sell anything for quite a while. It's obviously much more understood in the US, or at least was. Now it's a lot better. I mean, we did eventually raise a seed round actually before, just before joining YC, but we just felt that getting into YC would open a lot of doors. Obviously, from an investment perspective, it would open the doors to the, to the US market, but we will also be joining a network of open source companies that have done it before and learn from them and get guidance about you know, focusing on the right things early on because first-time founders, both of us, so we just wanted to make sure we had a bit of structure to iterate week after week and focus on the, on the right things before, uh, yeah, before making uh, further progress. So yeah, we had a team, we had a product, but we didn't have a lot of traction, quasi zero traction, I would say, back then. So this was really the start for us in terms of you know, going out to Hacker News and other platforms, talking about the tech and then starting this journey from that uh, perspective. Walk us through how do you actually start the community? Because you started with a project together with the financial and sort of banking background in mind, right? So they have probably have certain requirements and things they want to actually do. Did you go after other banking industry people to start for adoption or what gave you the early traction in the early days and what, what have you learned in those times as well? Yeah, it's a fantastic question. Here's been a, a real journey, to be perfectly honest. So, yeah, initially we, we were, hey, this uh, was born in, uh, in the FS space, so we're going we're gonna to get all the, all the banks. It's going to be easy, right? They all need this stuff. <laughs> so just spoke to a lot of those folks. Uh, we got a lot in terms of feedback, which was great, but we realized that to get in those places, it would take a long, long time. The adoption you know, cycle for just banks in general and financial services is typically super long. And we found that a lot of players in the space also tend to build themselves rather than pick products already existing. And there is this kind of you know, build against buy mentality. So yeah, it was, it was quite tough. We just got a lot of feedback though, you know, like what they need, what sort of performance they were expecting and stuff like that. But very quickly realized that time series were just a lot more than financial services, exploding in all sorts of industries, a lot of use cases. And at the end of the day, we felt that, you know, all data eventually is going to be time series just because to understand any kind of insight, you need the time element. You cannot abstract it away. And because time series data is just, the volume is extremely high. There is a lot of it. Once you unlock performance, you're going to be able to analyze all of it. And this is where we feel it's going to become truly mainstream. But anyway, so we, we, we decided to stop focusing on, you know, talking to XYZ in financial services and just go a bit more broad. And that's when we started to talk about the technology and post essentially all of this stuff on Hacker News first, Reddit, those kind of places where we would find our audience and our audience is very technical developers, extremely technical developers who play with databases, who have, you know, tangible problems. And we focus around performance a lot. And the great thing about QuestDB is that because it's, you know, it's been made from, from the ground up 100%, there is a lot to talk about, right? Just every component has been designed from scratch. So yeah, we could just endlessly talk about it. And this resonated with developers. So yeah, we, we took off on Icon News at the beginning. We, we also did things that not very typical in the space, trying to bring some exciting stuff to the database world, which could be seen as a little bit boring sometimes. So, you know, we came up with this huge demo that you could query live, massive data set of nearly 2 billion rows, 10 years worth of uh, history of taxi data in New York City and open to the internet, right? You click a button, boom, you can literally query 
this huge data set. People tried to break it for 10 hours on Hacker News. <laughs> they didn't succeed, luckily. And this brought us a lot of attention, massive, uh, yeah, just a lot of people coming to us. And this is when we started to focus on community building. So in the time series database world, there are now a couple of open source based companies. And we wanted to talk about how we actually like position and differentiate and our, our tagline is being the fastest time series database company. I think time scales as a counter is on being really simple. So what does fastest actually mean? And are there a different kind of set of customers or use cases that we go after versus other time series database companies? Yeah. So when we talk about performance, we mean essentially two things. One, ingesting the data. So, you know, the, the throughput has to be pretty high, especially when you have bursts of data coming in, right? This is actually the case in financial markets quite a bit. And then on the querying side of things, okay, the data is in. You want to get insights very quickly on this data, maybe power some dashboards and get real-time view of what's going on. And then on top of that, you can apply you know, machine learning models or you know, anomaly detection and trying to augment it. And one thing we found that is still not really cracked in the market is the ability to do the second while doing the first. So while ingesting data continuously, streaming time series data 24-7. As the data set grows, the ability to query data very quickly without breaking stuff, without the database going down, without the database slowing down. And this is what we do very well. However, we realized very quickly that performance on its own is not going to bring us very far. So we focused on the first five minutes for developers to get started. We chose a language that is known by everybody to lower the bars to, to entry as well, SQL, which makes it quite easy just to query the data set and trying to get insights out of it. And we've added some specific syntax for time series that makes it a lot easier to navigate those big, big data sets around downsampling the data, for example, finding the last record stuff, you know, easy, simple stuff, but that actually is used all the time in our use cases. So this is what we mean about performance. Now, use cases, broadly speaking, we see three of them. The first one is the obvious one for us, where we come from, sort of market tick data. So you can think of, you know, especially in crypto nowadays, just huge real-time crypto dashboards, candlestick charts, just drilling down into historical data sets, trying to understand what has been happening, you know, making order books, forecasting, refining algos, etc. That's one thing. The second would be much, much broader real-time analytics and everything around observability. So just tracking the state of things, understanding the state of your CPU memory networks, detecting threats, in-app analytics could go from performance marketing to web 3.0 dApps kind of performance and usage patterns. It's very broad. It's really, really broad. And here, performance matters too, at the end of the day. And finally, industrial telemetry. You can think of just sensor data, you know, and coming from all sorts of places. So we've got a nuclear reactor using Quest DB. You can imagine if things go wrong, they need to <laughs> understand it pretty quickly. But, you know, factories, robots, 5G network-based stations, batteries, all sort of stuff telemetry coming to the database and also tracking things, geospatial, you know, tracking fleets of ships, planes, drones, whatever. We do that pretty well as well. So those tend to be the, the use cases we excel at the moment. And these are pretty hefty customers. So how do you actually get in front of them? Is it a lot of like they'll find your open source project, they're searching for something or to our question around finding financial services companies before, are you doing any kind of direct reach out or how are you actually getting in front of these customers? Yeah, so the answer is zero, zero outreach. It's purely inbound-led. That's the, the beauty of open source, really. You know, uh, at the end of the day, 
people can find you extremely easily and they can deploy you super quickly. And, you know, here we talk about big organizations sometimes, and there is literally nothing stopping people at a $100 billion market cap starting playing with Quest today. There is nothing. They don't need to, you know, validate anything or a budget or whatever. The license is super, uh, you know, permissive. Apache 2.0, so they can do that. And obviously, yeah, we need to, I mean, make sure that people find us. So this is what we do with our content strategy, being out there, making sure that our GitHub repo gets the attention that we need. And then, you know, things happen because people well, have specific needs around time series data. They find us also for other ways. Huh? Uh, we did a lot of uh, a lot of work on, you know, optimizing SEO, also partnering with other technologies make sure that, you know, we fit in the modern data stack. So when people uh, use Kafka and they need to solve a problem around time series, they're going to find us. We have a lot of tutorials around this, uh, those kind of integrations. So making sure that, yeah, when time series emerges, people think QuestDB right away. They will come to us. And then this is where we feel we have to really make a special effort because the product is less mature than, say, some of the technologies you just mentioned. We have less features. We started later and we built everything from scratch. So we don't inherit things out of the box, right? We need to make everything. So obviously we have a gap in terms of features. But here is the moment where, okay, we're 100% with people coming to us. We're going to take them from A to B. It's not going to be perfect. But we solve their, their problems at the end of the day. You know, with this kind of performance, they can really get their business going and they can rely on Quest to power those applications. And being actually early stage still, we have that flexibility. We can really double down on making sure they get all they need from us in order to, to move forward. But uh, yeah, in some ways, you know, we have started with the believers. Some are very, very big companies. Some are you know, gigantic companies and you find the believers in-house in that company. And there is a lot of evangelizing that needs to happen from their side. So typically you find the developer who falls in love with the product and inside the company, they have to talk about it to other teams, convince them that it's the right tool for their solution. Sometimes time series is not very well understood. Why do we need the time series database? So they need to do all of that. And we're trying to do the best we can to empower them to do it. On our behalf. So we, we, you know, we have all those people who are essentially spreading the word about our technology. And this is very, very powerful. So there's sort of virality, word of mouth happening as well that brings us new companies and, you know, just new users all the time. Yeah. So let's talk about your content strategy because I've, I've been just scrolling through all your blogs and there's a very clear trend that you're really talking very technical details about how things are built, you know, memcopy, thread messaging, and all those sort of nuances as part of the content, right? And how did you evolve your content strategy from the early beginning? What did you learn that worked and what did you learn that doesn't work? Seems like the goal is to really build a very technical brand, right? That we are, you know, showing why we're the fastest and talking about the details left and right. So yeah, just some lessons you learned and things and plans you've changed since the beginning to now. So, I mean, first of all, we wanted to be ourselves. I'm not trying to pretend, you know, we're X, Y, Z. And we are performance obsessed, performance geeks, really. So that's who we are. And we're not trying to hide it. And, you know, our audience is very technical developers. So obviously we started with that extremely technical content, talking about how we've built it to see if, you know, people were even interested, right? Because at the beginning, we had no evidence that this product would uh, really fulfill uh, a need beyond the use case that Vlad was having at a, at a big bank. So this, this was the first thing. And then we found out that it's the case. This was the first phase, focusing on very, very technical content, 
just to find the right people, people likely to click with the product. Also emotionally, right? If you're passionate about this stuff, passionate about, you know, shaving one microsecond here, there, uh, you're going to fall in love with what we do because yeah, the way it's been built sometimes it's just quite extreme. You know, you probably don't need to go to that length for every single bit, but yeah, it's, <laughs> that, that's what Vlad started to do. And that's what, you know, we've been continuing to do. So that, that was the, the best way we thought to find the right people. And so, yeah, we just purely focused on that. And then obviously as time went, we just broadened the scope massively. So yeah, you can see the content has been sort of expanding towards things like tutorial, getting people started with quests. So yeah, it's great to talk about performance, but if you cannot use it, what's the point? And that's when, you know, we thought, okay, what are the technologies that best integrate with QuestDB? And, you know, we reached out to all of those people, striking partnership with some of them now, and also to see where the gaps were, you know, because say, okay, you want to do machine learning directly on Quest? How do you do? Currently you can't. Oh, turns out there is a great project out there called uh, MindsDB. And, you know, if we use them uh, together, we could do some new things for our users, tap into other communities as well and get new users from them. So this was also a pretty important part. And then we went a bit broader still. Those are more like higher level articles around, you know, the space, time series, what is it? Why do we need a time series database? Because we realized that still, still today, it is not yet fully understood by everybody. You know, we had this assumption that it was totally obvious that, you know, you need a time series database for use case X, Y, Z, but not necessarily uh, true. And this helped us, you know, just spread the message. And, and I think that benefits all the players in the space, to be honest, and what other database technologies did in that respect also helped us. And then, yeah, we, we like also to share the journey, so to speak. So, you know, we've been to YC, we built a startup from, you know, pretty much scratch. Okay, we had a product, but we learned a lot. We made tons of mistakes everywhere. First time founders, you can imagine all the mistakes we made, right? <laughs> so we wanted to share that a little bit to the community, just, you know, so it comes from the heart. So yeah, we, for example, our series A, we just wrote this article about, you know, what happened really since the beginning, what's been the journey like, so that perhaps it could inspire other people to start something, you know, when they have great projects and they're on the fence, but just, yeah, to continue this path of shipping ourselves and, uh, you know, not pretending to do otherwise. So those were some things, you know, examples that come to mind. And then, yeah, what I mentioned, I mean, it's not content per se, but it, well, it's going to be content now. Trying to do things that are a bit new and different. So this demo, now we're adding new data sets. We're adding crypto data. It's going to be dashboards everywhere with graphite integrations. It's going to be a blog post out of it and it's super interactive. And it's trying to, you know, just bring something a bit new, a bit funky to the equation because I didn't mention benchmark. Those were quite powerful as well. People like to see the headlines that we can ingest more than 1.4 million rows a second. It's great, but, you know, it's kind of been done everywhere and some people are skeptical about it. So there is so much value you can get from those things. However, you know, just interesting things like that around topics and themes that people are excited about, like, so say crypto. Yeah, we found that quite exciting to, to do. So it's kind of evolving more towards exciting stuff that's not really been explored by traditional database players in the past. Awesome. And one piece of content we wanted to ask about was your public roadmap and the decision to actually have that open on GitHub, because that's it, not always a choice that, that companies make. So what were kind of the pros and cons of that? And, and why did you ultimately make that decision? Uh, yeah, I mean, that, that's been really straightforward because... We need the input from the community. And that's one way to make them feel part of the journey as well. So if you hide the roadmap from them, you know, they're not going to be very engaged at all. They're not going to feel that they have a say 
in the direction, the product. So, you know, when we do webinars, we talk about the roadmap all the time and it has to be public. Otherwise, uh, you know, yeah, like, great, you talk about it, but where can I see it? So yeah, it's public. We try obviously to be as transparent as we can, but also realistic, you know, we cannot take everybody's uh, input on board. We cannot do everything. There are some clear priorities that we set. We know where we need to be. We know what we need to build. But obviously sometimes when there is overwhelming you know, just response on specific features. We do prioritize them. We, we want to make stuff that people need at the end of the day. But yeah, I mean, it always felt super natural to put it out there. And this way, people also see what's going to be open source, right? Like what's uh, what's going to be in the open source product. And they can kind of, you know, they, they have visibility essentially on what's going to be the, sorry, the product like in say a year. Can I trust it now and start building on you know, my application with QuestDB today, because yeah, if they don't have that information, I think it's a lot harder. So it's like a trust thing too, you know, just so that we can get that trust element with, with our users and contributors. Yeah. And so like, I think one interesting thing about your content, and I, we see this probably in different databases, is that you basically compared with the biggest brand, you know, from day one. For the first post is about, we're faster than Influx, right? And you talked about the differences and things like that. I think once you actually understand what do you think was, did those posts resonate the most? Or this is just a start as a, a way to establish like credibility really quickly? Because I, I think not every sort of product open source really compares themselves to every like largest ones out there really quickly, right? They talk about use cases and stuff like that. And you just go straight up like, we use all the cores, we're the fastest. And also you pick ingestion speed, right? As a very like anchoring place to, to compare yourself as well. Those things very specific like what made you do that and what was the effect for there actually this was a pretty big flop <laughs> gonna be honest uh it was not like yeah it was far from being uh one of those crazy posts on icon news that trended for a long time but it was helpful because we were very focused on making sure that the product is usable and we chose this uh you know ingestion protocol that influx also has called ilp and, you know, that's what we started to do to make sure, hey, you're sending your data to Influx. Well, you can just point to Quest and uh, it's going to be easy to get started. So it was more like we found a way to benchmark things very neatly because we literally had the same or not exactly the same. But anyway, it would get too complicated to go through it now, but very, very similar ingestion protocol. All right. So that's why it felt natural to start benching very quickly the, well, the two. And this was our sort of first angle to make sure, hey. For people to understand, uh, you're used to this format that uh, Influx has been using for so long to inserting time series data. You can actually do the same thing with us. And by the way, we've benched it so you can see the difference in, in performance. You're right. I mean, you know, writing about uh, benchmarks is quite powerful because you also, you know, you tap into much bigger brands than uh, your brand as of, I guess, the time that you write the, the benchmark. That's always the, the intent. But also, yeah, people are are always interested in benchmarks. We actually saw a lot of people making decisions based on the benchmark, even though people tend to be skeptical because obviously we did it. But actually, we didn't just do it ourselves. We took what Timescale started to build open source, right? It's called TSBS. So that's why I think we got quite a lot of validation here. And ClickHouse as well, you know, every time we, we shipped something, <laughs> They came to a repo and tried to compare the performance. On this one, we, you know, we didn't hear from many people. So we felt like, you know, it was accepted. Like people actually trust the numbers that we put out there. So I think it's also in the way you design your benchmark. Like if, <laughs> if it was like, yeah, okay, we're going to 
take a data set that nobody has seen before and we're going to run some numbers and happy days. Obviously, uh, you know, it's not going to be as powerful. But then also, last thing about benchmarks, there are things you cannot benchmark because uh, closed source, they don't give you the ability to do it. And, uh, you know, if you do it, you can get in trouble. So that is uh, limited to the open source space typically. But yeah, we felt it kind of conveyed our, our message, right? We're trying to bring real performance to open source, like it's never been done before. And the only way to demonstrate it is uh, to show those benchmarks in, in some ways, right? Pretty powerful. And this in FluxDB thing at the beginning was not uh, a hit, but I think it helped. It helped people uh, also understand, you know, the value prop, right? Because if you start from Influx, I mean, yeah, some use cases are very similar to the ones we tackle and it helps kind of frame the technology in the data, the modern data stack landscape as well. So you're doing a lot of things to inspire community trust. And we even saw that you posted your Series A deck out there. Like everything is very public, very open. The company obviously operates in kind of the open source ethos of just being very open with the community and users about what's going on. How do you measure that the community does trust the project and the company? Or how do you get feedback from the community? Are there certain types of activity in like the Slack channel or engagement or things that you look to, to know that the community is actually healthy? Yeah, so obviously there are community metrics we do track. So Slack is a, is a big one. We check, you know, how many messages are being posted. You know, is there interest? Are people, when somebody asks a question, we, you know, sometime uh, on purpose, try not to jump necessarily on that question and see if other people would be interested in kind of discussing that. And sometimes it happens and it's very, very awesome. Those kind of things give us a sense that, okay, you know, there are people really passionate about this product and they're willing to just hang on our Slack all day and help out other people. That was a really cool moment to see when it first happened. I, I remember actually quite vividly. So yeah, num number of uh, people joining Slack, obviously. Uh, well, yeah, GitHub Stars is a, is a tricky one. I don't think it's really a metric for community, but it, you know, it reflects how many people are coming towards you at the very least. So then it's a matter of retention, but we do track this pretty closely as well. And then, you know, everything around the number of contributions and things like that. So, you know, how many people are just adding code to the database. And for us, it's like super impressive to see because it's, at least on the core, it's mega hardcore, right? It's very technical. It's been built in a way that is not really super commonplace. Zero GC, Java, plus C++ stuff. So sometimes you see people jumping in and producing stuff that's really quite impressive. And that, yeah, that, that keeps us going really as well. But it does improve the product. That's the most important thing. So we believe database is very critical piece of infrastructure and you need as many eyes on it as possible. And this is why, you know, we obviously open source was a clear choice, but yeah, having people contributing to it is very, very important. Those are the things we, we track for the community, Not, no, no secret, uh, you know, metric uh, really. And then, you know, a byproduct of community really is the, you know, the usage. I mean, you know, how many people use your product every week, every month, stuff like that. So that, you know, typically the, the two go together, right? When a lot of people contribute, it also means that a lot of people use your product and vice versa. So that tends to be quite important. So I think you bring up some interesting points about how to really think about your community, how people actually perceive how to use this product. One thing I think we don't see often that you've done on your front page is actually just show how to just do a live demo, you know, directly from the browser and, and talk about all the example queries. And so I think what probably good to talk about is just like, what is the right amount of ways you are showing your users who you are and how to use you? And 
did you do this from the beginning or did you start to learn from at some point like, oh, we, you know, something like a life demo will be really useful maybe for people to actually able to try it before they, they engage even more further. Just talk about like, what is the things you're hoping user can be able to get really quickly and, and some of the journey to doing that? Yeah, so a database, you know, can be a pretty obscure thing, right? It's not something that all developers will, will love uh, picking and using. Sometimes the, the experience is just quite frustrating, especially with high performance stuff. There is this belief, right, or this connotation sometimes, oh, okay, it's high performance, so it must suck in terms of UX or, you know, just a pain to use or, or whatever, or to configure or, or just to fine tune. So we wanted to just demonstrate the opposite. And uh, yeah, having the possibility to click one button and start querying a data set of like 2 billion rows uh, with example queries and soon, uh, you know, dashboards on top clearly makes that sort of thing a lot, lot easier. People, yeah, can get a feel, you know, of what is... Is it going to be to just explore data sets with QuestDB rather than having to, yeah, you know, load the data in and do all those bits before getting there? So it was absolutely crucial. Like, it just felt a natural thing to do. The thing is, like, putting such a big data set out there, making it public, is pretty risky, especially if you're, like, SQL database. I mean, there are many ways to break it, especially that the traffic is very high. It could crash very, very easily. So we... <laughs> We were a bit scared at the beginning, but then, just, hey, let, let's do it, see, see how it goes. Then front page of Hacker News for like, well, all night for us in uh, in Europe back then. And the thing held. I think we had more than, you know, 20, 20, 30K people hammering it all night and it held. So yeah, for us, it was a very obvious thing to do, but you just need to make sure that the product is uh, kind of solid enough to sustain <laughs> this sort of thing. So yeah, it's rendering this hardcore product on paper a lot more accessible and not like putting any barriers in between the click and the query, okay? So if you start to add like a portal, like, yeah, put your email or whatever, I think you start losing, uh, you know, 98% of people just using the thing. And yeah, we're all about mass adoption. You know, we want to make sure that we empower millions of developers everywhere with this new performance that just was not available before. So if we were to do that, we would just defeat the goal that, that we had since day one, right? So yeah, felt very, very important. So Quest is still hyper-focused on community, but you do have a cloud product and an enterprise product. So what were kind of the early thoughts on how to actually come up with a monetization model? And did you take inspiration from other open source-based companies to try and come up with feature sets that folks would potentially be willing to pay for? Yeah, so luckily for us, in some ways, the database space is quite established in that regard. And typically, you know, database is a pretty critical thing for your stack, underpins applications. So if you seriously use it, there is a tendency for companies to pay for it. So that, you know, is a starting point, which is quite good. You want to make sure that you get as much as possible in the open source just to make it easy for people to get started. You know, how frustrating would it be like, oh, to insert data fast, you need to pay. Otherwise, you're going to get like slow ingestion. I don't think that's like the right way to think about it. So there is that, you know, catch up we need to do on features. But obviously, there are some features a lot more geared towards, you know, large deployments in production for large enterprises, like, you know, say compression, for example. And that makes total sense. Then there is also the fully offset cloud, what we call it QuestDB cloud. It's not there yet. We're building it. But this obviously is a, well, fantastic way to monetize the business. And it's something that a lot of companies want. You know, they don't want to self-host themselves and on the cloud, they want to abstract the complexity away and we take care of all of it. 
and this is you know something we do we do monetize but we wanted something in between you know because some people want to self-host themselves and we felt that they deserve to get the option to get all those features that will be by default in the cloud offering that we will manage that is how we think about it then obviously there is always the exception you know super big uh, complicated uh, customer i mean complicated in terms of setup you know that will require a little bit more customization there's nothing you can do uh, about that and sometimes you know working with those companies is real privilege and there's a lot of learning so yeah totally fine making it just straightforward simple i think is what you know needs to be done we talked about like the open source, the content and all of that. And I think want to kind of transition to like, what's actually the most challenging part starting this whole company? Like, what did you really have to like figure out or what felt like actually really hard to figure out? And how did you learn to overcome those challenges? Yeah, the first challenge was uh, the assumption that our domain, what we do would be understood by everybody. And uh, this clearly was not the case. So there was a lot of homework on our side to refine the messaging. The first fundraise was a little bit difficult. We really had to make it easy for people to understand what we are doing. And you can imagine, you know, it's, it's difficult, right? Uh, Vlad is extremely technical uh, on a scale of one to 10 is uh, it's 9.5. And, you know, I'm not a database guy, really, uh, at the end of the day. Yeah, I was in data a bit, but it's not my world the last 20 years. So we had to sort of bridge this huge gap between the two. Uh, it was cool in a way, right? Because I bring a different perspective and we were super complementary, but it was definitely a challenge at the beginning to get the, the story right and uh, yeah, be understood by everybody, you know, by the community, potential users, investors, and, and all of this stuff. That's one thing. And then the second thing would be just focus. You know, as a first time founder, you're like tempted to just do all sort of stuff all the time and lose focus early on. And this YC really, really helped. You know, they were, okay, guys, like, uh, there are so many things you can think about, but you just pick one metric, track it every week, focus on it, and that is it, you know, at the end of the day. And this really helps, you know, from just an uh, emotional standpoint, too. So it can be frustrating, right? You want uh, all sort of metrics to go up, all sort of things to be done, but it's not possible. At the beginning, we were, you know, just a few, right? So you have to pick your battles. This, yeah, this YC experience uh, really helped. And, and then, you know, there is all the, the stuff around building a company that, you know, they don't tell you, right? It's just the complexity can get pretty steep pretty soon, especially when you, you know, you start in Europe, you, you flip to the US. Yeah, it's just like all the process, all the stuff. And this, you know, to be honest, I mean, YC really saved us here because you, you just find companies who've been through it before. They've got all, all the answers. It's super, super helpful. So that is why, you know, we did eventually also start this YCOSS community. We've got, I don't know, I think 300 founders, uh, OSS founders from YC. We help each other a lot. And yeah, sometimes you don't need to reinvent the wheel, you know, even from a go-to-market, you can learn like a lot of super useful and relevant things from people who have done it before. And we're trying to maximize this as much as we can. So that is probably a blessing, right? That I'm not from this world that much. I just assumed I knew nothing. Probably, you know, there's still a lot of things I don't know. And therefore we seek a lot of help from the right people. And this uh, helped tremendously as a result. I think it's awesome that you started that YC community because there are a lot of open source based YC companies now. We wanted to finish on any pieces of advice to open source company founders or project owners that are thinking about starting a company based on their project. What were some things that you wish someone in your seat had told you when you were just starting out? Okay, something that's very specific to us, but I think it could be, yeah, it could be relevant, especially for European open source 
companies. Don't worry about monetization too early. Obviously, it's important to think about it. Obviously, it's going to become super, super important. But putting your project out and getting tons of traction is, you know, half of the battle won, really. You know, if you've got solid traction, solid, just people loving your product, using it everywhere, you have a very high probability to make an incredible company out of it. And not, not to worry about all the things that, yes, will, uh, will, will hit you uh, probably two, three, four, five years down the line, but just focus one thing at a time. And at the beginning, what's most important is just product, community, market fit, right? Just making sure that you're doing a product that people love and that is it. So if you've got that and you've got a you know, repo with a good traction or early signs of traction, just go for it. Don't overthink it. And uh, probably, probably going to be a very good start. And the second thing I would, uh, I would recommend is something, funny enough, Vlad didn't really do, you know, in all those years. I mean, he did it at a very small scale for his use case, but getting all that feedback early is super, super crucial. So, you know, speaking to companies in different verticals, uh, different industries to see if where you're going is, uh, you know, is worth persevering, definitely, definitely super, super important. And go to market as quickly as possible, which is also something that <laughs> finally we didn't do. But I guess for a database, yeah, it's a little bit more tricky to, to apply. But for most open source products, I think not being like embarrassed and going for it quickly definitely pays off to get that super useful feedback and then get the best possible product as a result. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. This was really, really fun. Thank you so much, both. It was great. 